Hello and welcome to the Emotion of Work podcast where we take a deep dive into the human condition and this is episode 58 and today we are looking at uh, Emotion at Work in self-presentation. Now self-presentation is like a subcategory of impression management and we talked about impression management in episode 12 with Dawn Archer which is still in history the longest episode we've ever had at one hour 47 minutes it is probably the deepest dive into impression management and associated disciplines you will hear anywhere in the podcast sphere so if you haven't listened to that one already then go back and give it a listen where we're going today is taking a bit of a deeper dive into self-presentation which is a particular part of impression management um, and I also mentioned in episode 54 where we looked at um, and analysed Matt Hancock um, in a data set where he was being interviewed by Susanna Reid and Ben Shepherd on the uh, first anniversary of the first Covid lockdown here in the UK um, and I mentioned in that that he does some impression management things um, and that we'd come back to that in a later episode. And this, fair listener, is said episode. So that's where we're going to be going today. So why is impression management or self-presentation in particular important? Well, it's something that we do all of the time. And so as someone who is in a team, working with other people, working with clients, working in an organisation. If you can start to understand and, and deduce what is somebody doing, how are they presenting themselves right now and why might they be doing that and what is the impression that they are trying to manage and what that can do is help and support us in terms of the way that we build relationships and build communication and often in, in organisations, communication is the thing that greases all of the wheels. If we want people to work together, if we want people to be effective, if you want members of your team to deliver on their, their tasks or their goals or their objectives, if you want other departments that you work with to deliver on what you're asking of them, communication is really key. And impression management and self-presentation is a component of communication that's really quite ignored in... I guess I would say the main kind of arena of communication. People will talk about body language and they might talk about um, uh, questions or they might talk about listening and all of those things are really important as is impression management and self-presentation because it tells us where people stand or what what their orientation is on the world. So by by having a way of decoding or deducing the way that someone is trying to present themselves, it gives us the opportunity to work out, well, where are they placing themselves in relation to the world? Where are they placing themselves in relation to others? Where are they placing themselves in relation to the topic that's being discussed? And if we understand those things, it allows us to understand the the motives and the drivers of those individuals more effectively. And if we can do that, it builds better relationships, better communication, and then improved productivity performance and all of those things that would follow so what I'm aiming to do today is to give you an opportunity to to look at how someone else is presenting themselves in particular we're going to look at Matt Hancock again because I said in episode 54 that I come back and look at it so it only seems fair to do so now so we're going to look at how Matt Hancock does self-presentation in this interview with uh, Susanna Reed and Ben Shepherd 
when he was then health secretary um, on the first anniversary of the, of the COVID lockdown in the UK. And what we'll look at is things like what, where does Matt Hancock put the spotlight? What does he put? It, what does he leave in the shadows? And that's a nice metaphor that works well for self-presentation, because what we do when we're doing self-presentation is we put certain things in the spotlight and we leave other things in the shadow. So what we're interested in is what's in the spotlight right now, and what could that tell us about this individual, their stance, where they're at with something, and what's in the shadow then. Now, I'm going to make it a bit more detailed. I'm going to make it a bit more detailed than spotlight and shadow. And I think it's a, use, a useful metaphor that we can use along the way. So let's look at this data set. Well, let's say look at. Let's try that one again. Let's listen to this data. Let's review. There we go. That's an even better word. Let's review this data set then in terms of looking at what, what is it that's happening. So the, the broader context is this is about a one minute and three or four second clip. It's taken from the uh, news TV show in the UK that's broadcast on ITV called Good Morning Britain. You have Susanna Reid and Ben Shepherd, who are the interviewers, who are interviewing the then Health Secretary Matt Hancock. Um, and this little snippet we're giving in particular is where Susanna Reid is asking Matt Hancock some questions about the uh, the way that a previous aide to the UK government, a man called Dominic Cummings, is describing um, the health secretary's department at that particular point in time. So I'm going to pause now, give you a chance to listen to it once, and then we'll come back. Why has Dominic Cummings, who was at the heart of government during that time, why has he described your department as a smoking ruin? Well, I think he was describing how how much work had to be undertaken to buy the PPE that we had to buy. He was describing it as a failure, Mr Hancock. Well, the, the, the truth is that the department, include, and actually across government, we were working incredibly hard to buy PPE because there was a global shortage and a global sudden surge in demand, as you can imagine. So... That was the that was the work that was undertaken. But the the important thing I think is that we learn all of these lessons constantly. We've got to be looking always to improve our response, both learning from things that went uh, badly and learning from things that went so well. So why not like use today, rollout. for instance? Okay, so that was your opportunity to familiarise yourself with that particular segment of the audio. So I'm going to give you the chance in a moment to listen to it again. And this time, I want you to listen to it with a few questions in mind. So the first question is, what's Matt Hancock's goal here? What is his goal? What's he trying to achieve? What impression is he trying to manage? Or how is he trying to present himself? So if, we sit, if I'm asking you to look at self-presentation, how is Matt Hancock trying to present himself here? Second question is it a conscious or an unconscious thing? So is there something that Matt Hancock is doing deliberately and consciously or is it unconscious? What perception is Matt Hancock trying to influence? Now this might link in with his goal, potentially, um, and I think it's a useful question to consider on its own. So what is Matt Hancock trying to influence? What perception is he trying to influence? And what is it that he is regulating or controlling to present himself in a particular way. So, 
What's his goal? Is it conscious or unconscious? What's the perception that Matt Hancock is trying to influence? And what is he regulating or controlling to create that perception? Okay, here's round two. Why has Dominic Cummings, who was at the heart of government during that time, why has he described your department as a smoking ruin? Well, I think he was describing how, how much work had to be undertaken to buy the PPE that we had to buy. He was describing it the, as a failure, Mr Hancock. Well, the, the, the truth is that the department, include, and actually across government, we were working incredibly hard to buy PPE because there was a global shortage and a global sudden surge in demand, as you can imagine. So that was the, that was the work that was undertaken. But the, the important thing, I think, is that we learn all of these lessons constantly. We've got to be looking always to improve our response, both learning from things that went uh, badly and <coughs> learning from things that went so well. So why not like use today, rollout. for instance? All right, and welcome back. Um, so those questions link into the definition of um, impression management and self-presentation. So let me run, run you through that definition first then. So impression management is goal directed. So impression management and self-presentation, there is a goal that you want to achieve. Now, normally that is your desired social identity in that context. So what is the, how do I want to be seen? How do I want to be known? What do I want my social identity to be right here and right now? So impression management and self-presentation is goal-directed. It can be conscious or unconscious. So it can be something that you do deliberately, purposefully, consciously. It can also be something that happens as a byproduct because our identity is always being negotiated. All day, every day, whoever you're with, whatever you're doing, even when you're on your own, arguably, you're identity is being negotiated so when you are interacting with one of your colleagues for example you might want to be known as professional you might want to be known as a safe pair of hands you might want to be known as um, someone who's really helpful and supportive and so the goal might be I want to be seen as helpful because being seen as helpful is, is in line with my values because I'm a helpful person. And so when someone looks like they're struggling, I may offer my help or assistance. And that could be unconscious. That could happen naturally because that's one of your core values. That's one of the things that you um, work with and you abide by. And so when somebody looks like they're in difficulty or, or that you see an opportunity where you could help, you might be saying, how can I help? What can I do to support you? So it could be conscious or unconscious. Another context might be recruitment, for example. Uh, and there's a wonderful video of, um, that's taken a snippet from the film In the Pursuit of Happiness that's an interview scene that's got some great impression management in. Um, not for now, but we'll come, maybe we'll come back to that one later. Um, where your goal then is to come across in a particular way. 
And let's say that is that you know from reading the job description that they have said that one of the values that the organization um, recognizes or appreciates is that of being helpful and supportive. So if you're in this, let's say you're in a group activity, um, you want to come across in, in a way that is in line with what the organization values or the organization that you, you're applying to work for values. And so you make a conscious attempt to be seen as helpful. So that goal of being, I want to be seen as helpful and supportive, and you may then make conscious steps to do that. So it might you might then take an action that you wouldn't necessarily normally do, and you're doing it here because you want to look a particular way. So impression management and self-presentation is goal-directed, it's conscious or unconscious, and it's an attempt to influence the perception of others. So you are trying to influence how people see, in this example, you, because we're doing self-presentation. So attempt to influence the perception of others. So what, and this is back to my question from earlier on with Matt Hancock. So what is, what perception is Matt Hancock trying to influence? The next bit of the definition then is it's goal-directed, conscious or unconscious, in an attempt to influence the perception of others about a person, object or event. Now, that person in self-presentation might be me. That object might be my work. The event may be my um, interactions in a particular meeting. So a good example here might be we tell stories all the time. So we tell stories about the impression, about the, let me try that again. We tell stories about the uh, experiences that we've had. And often the way we describe our involvement in that is doing self-presentation. Um, you're presenting yourself about what you did, that object or that event. And you do that by regulating and controlling information. So there are certain bits of information that we regulate or control that can change how people see us. So let's say you're working in, a, in an organisation where one of the values is challenge confidently where we challenge each other confidently, we hold each other to account when we do those things. And you're telling a story of an experience you've had in a, in a recent meeting where um, the, uh, the topic of conversation was one uh, that was away from what the organisation might want. So how you describe the way that you dealt with that may be that you challenged it confidently because you know that's what the organisation values and so the way that you regulate or control that information then is what allows you to do that impression management or self-presentation and all of that happens in social interaction so let's put all those components together impression management and self-presentation is a goal-directed conscious or unconscious attempt to influence the perceptions of others about a person object or event by regulating and controlling information in social interaction. So that's our definition, and that's where my questions came from earlier on, to look at um, what Matt Hancock was doing in that small snippet of that interview with Susanna Reid and Ben Shepherd. So what do I think was going on then? Well... For me, Matt Hancock's goal was around him coming across as credible 
as a leader and that he and his department have performed well in the pandemic. So when Susanna Reid described or asked the question around why has Dominic Cummins described your department as a smoking ruin, um, that brings with it some connotations. So smoking ruin implies destruction. Um, for me, it visualizes a, a, a like a building that's been destroyed. You can, you've got little bits of wall still kind of sticking up, but you've also got big holes and you've got smoke coming out of those things. So it is a, a ruin of a building that's smoking. And that um, then creates an impression. So Susanna Reid is also doing impression management here, but we're not analysing Susanna Reid. So let's stick with Matt Hancock. So what Matt Hancock is then trying to do is to he's looking at that and saying, that isn't in line with my desired social identity. So my goal is to move this away from me being associated with a smoking ruin because I don't want to be seen as the minister that's leading a department that is a smoking ruin. I want to be seen as a as a member of, of parliament, as a member of the cabinet that is credible and professional and a strong leader and, and some of those things. So is it conscious or unconscious? It's definitely conscious. Um and so, and what's Matt Hancock trying to influence here? Well, so he's trying to influence the audience's perception, I think. So I don't think he, he really, I mean, he might care about Susanna Reid and Ben Shepherd, but what we, the bit of context that's important to pay attention to is there's a wider audience at play here. So there is a, a wider TV audience that's watching either live in that moment or will be watching this clip back or listening to this clip back as we are now. So... What he's aiming to influence then is the audience's perception of him and his department. And he wants you to perceive them, him and his department, as hard workers. So as people that work hard, that are diligent, that are committed, that that have worked tirelessly through this pandemic. And what's being regulated well, what's interesting is interesting for me anyway, is that what Matt Hancock names as being regulated is the truth. Because he says, well, the truth is. And the way that self-presentation works is we have this desired social identity. So we have this, I want to be seen as. And then what we what happens is, and this again may be unconscious, is we we calibrate that against how we look right now so I want to look a particular way and then we calibrate that against how am I looking at the moment how am I being presented either by myself or by others and is that in line with this desired social identity if it's not then I'm going to take actions that will try and change or modify how I'm seen So in this particular clip, it opens up with, Mr. Hancock, why has your department been described as a smoking ruin? Matt Hancock assesses that and says, well, this isn't how I want to be seen. This, so my, this isn't in line with my desired social identity. So my goal is to change that then. My goal is to be seen as what? Hmm, hardworking. Okay, so let's take some steps then to re, recalibrate 
this like this social identity that I have in the moment with what I want it to be. And so he starts talking about how hardworking he was, how hardworking the department was. So he's trying to um, to change this social identity. And what then gets interesting is Susanna Reed doesn't let him. So she consciously or unconsciously sees that he is trying to renegotiate the way he's being put across. He's trying to create a new narrative, create a new goal and a new social identity for him. And so Susanna Reed interjects and says, no, Miss Hancock, he was describing it as a failure. And then Matt Hancock's response is, well, Susanna, the truth, well, I don't know if he says Susanna, actually. Anyway, the key phrase he uses is the truth is. Now, he's invoking truth there as a way to influence and change the perception of the audience as to how it was and what the reality of life was. That it was a hard-working life, not a smoking ruin life. And that therefore he, in terms of a self-presentation, as the leader of that department, is, a, is also a hard-working, credible, professional leader of said department. So this cycle or this um, system of I have a version of me that I want to be seen as, I calibrate what's happening against that. Am I being seen in line with that? And if the answer is yes, no further action is needed. Brilliant. Great. Move on. Or continue to calibrate. Actually, not move on. It would be continue to calibrate. I'd continue to look to say, I want to be seen as this. Am I being seen as that? Yes. I'll carry on in the actions that I'm taking. And if at some point, as it does here, we realise that how we're being seen is different to how we want it to be, then we take some steps or take some action to try and uh, to try and influence that then, either consciously or unconsciously, we take some action to influence the perception by regulating or controlling information. And a really common example I see in organisations, in teams, in conversation is where two people are discussing something, so let's say person A and person B, and person B says, oh, well, person A um, did this. And person A says, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. No, I didn't. That's not, how, that's not how it was. It was like this instead. And that's because the way that person B has described person A is against or out of line with how they want to be seen. And so they take some steps to do that. And if, as in we have with this example here with, with Matt Hancock, if that, if that um, the difference between how I want to be seen and how I am being seen is marked, if it's a big difference, then I need to take either more action or immediate action to address that. So that might be by interrupting, going, whoa, 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 hang on, no, that wasn't the case at all, actually. It was much more like this. Um Whereas if the discrepancy is small, then maybe we might we might let it slide or we might try and wait our turn and then come in and renegotiate that desired social identity. And so this calibration and recalibration is happening all of the time. How am I being seen? Is it in line with what I want? Yes. Okay, keep calibrating. Is it in line with what I want? No. Okay, I need to change something then. I need to take some action to change and shift that. 
so that I can be seen in line with how I want to be seen. I recalibrate, is it in line with how I want to be seen? Yes, excellent. Let's just continue to monitor the situation then. Is it in line with that? I've made this change. Is it in line with how I want to be seen? No. Okay, then I need to take more action. What's the next action I need to take to recalibrate this, to bring it round so that I'm seen in the way that I want to be seen? And so what I'm asking you to do is to think about it with both others and yourself. So when you're interacting with others, what lines are people taking? What is it that, how are they positioning themselves in line with the event, in line with an object, in line with their colleagues and their peers, in line with the topic? How are they orientating themselves in the world? Where are they placing themselves? Because that tells us something. What's in the spotlight? So for Matt Hancock, what he put in the spotlight was truth. He said the truth is, that's what he put firmly in the spotlight. And what he then left on the in the shadows is why someone has a different view and um, what might be driving that. He also left in the shadows the failings that Susanna Reid identified elsewhere in the interview. His focus is, we are working hard and we've worked really hard all the way through this pandemic and it's had a big impact on us. So I'd encourage you to have a look at the wider data set. We picked a, a one minute section here and I'll put a link to the to the wider data set in the show notes. And when you go through it, look at Matt Hancock, but also look at Susanna Reid and Ben Shepard because they do self-presentation a lot through this interview as well. And your checklist of questions then is, what's their goal? What's their goal here? What is it they're trying to achieve? It's from an identity point of view. Um, is it conscious or unconscious? What are they trying, what perception are they trying to influence? And what is it that they are regulating or controlling to, to create that impression of themselves and when they're doing that self-presentation? So where I want to go next then is to talk about some of the strategies that people use with self-presentation and delve into those um, in a bit more detail. But what I want to do first is pause for... 10 15 seconds in real time but i'm going to ask you to pause the podcast and think then about what are the social identities that you take what are the things how do you want to be known what do you want to be known for how do you want people to describe you what is it that you stand for and these questions are starting to unpick some of the desired social identities that you will take so press pause, um, come back whenever you're ready, and then we'll head into what are some of the actual strategies that people use to do self-presentation. Okay. Um, so when we look at the... Uh, the research that sits around um, self-presentation. Uh, one of my favourite places to go is a book called Impression Management in the Workplace by Anthony DeBrin, um, and I'll put a link to that um, in the show notes because what he's done is pull together lots of different components of research um, to look at impression management more broadly and self-presentation in particular. Um, and there are some impression management strategies broadly that also apply to self-presentation. Um, and two of those in particular will be um, framing and flattery. So framing being about the way that we position something, how we, um, how we begin by 
out, yeah, outlining, framing, setting the scene for what's to come. So a good example of that would be, oh, you'll never believe what happened to me today. Then that framing is, is telling you that there's something coming, which is probably going to be embarrassing, probably going to be something out of the norm. Um, and it, it tells you that it's something that, or it implies that it's something I might not have had much control or influence over that happened as a surprise because you'll never believe what happened to me today. So framing is, is one way. Um, and if you're interested in framing in particular, then again, I'll put some links in the uh, into the show notes. Um, one of my favorite researchers, Evan Goffman, did a lot of work on framing. So I'll put a link into to some of his work as well. When we think about self-presentation in particular, then, um, you can have what is generally known within the research as substantive approaches to self-presentation and surface-level approaches to self-presentation. Um, and the difference being substantive means it's got a bit more effort, work, and energy that's needed to put in to make it stronger, make it more substantive. Um, and then surface level is things that people do um, can do quite easily without needing to put that much effort, thought and, and energy into building something beforehand. OK, so substantive self-presentation then can be broken down into two different factors or two different components. So one being self-presentation of characteristics and behaviour, which is um, what are my characteristics and how do I behave? Um, and in particular, broken down within that are things around being persuasive, developing a positive reputation, and then using appropriate humour. Now, there's lots of things that sit underneath those things in terms of how do I be persuasive, how do I develop a positive reputation, and how do I know what is appropriate humour. And that's why these are, uh, this family that I'm going to talk about now are called substantive approaches to self-presentation because they require some effort um, either to do in the moment or to build in advance. Um, and what happens then is by by being persuasive, having a positive reputation and using appropriate humour, we are um, seen as our characteristics or our behaviour is seen and generally viewed as well. But we can also have self-presentation of work accomplishments. And that's broken down into displaying organisational citizenship behaviour, and being a subject matter expert. So displaying organisational citizenship behaviours kind of basically is fitting in. It's behaving in a way that the organisation says it wants to behave, um, or the way an organisation expects you to behave, which could be different to what it says it wants, actually, but that's a whole other podcast in itself. Um, so by... by um, framing or by um, controlling and influencing the my work accomplishments by showing how my work accomplishments display the types of behavior the organization wants and how it displays me as a subject matter expert that is likely to either maintain or enhance my self-presentation similarly if i'm persuasive if i develop a positive reputation if i use appropriate humor if i can judge the context well to know where I, what I can say that is humorous if I can have that positive reputation where people talk about me well within the organization and if I'm seen as persuasive then they are more substantive approaches to self-presentation so my questions for you then would be 
are you known as persuasive? Do you have a positive reputation? Do you have a positive reputation? Sorry. And are you using appropriate humour? And do you display, or when do you display organisational citizenship behaviour? And how do you position yourself as a subject matter expert? Conversely, we can flip that around. If this person that you're interacting with, how persuasive are they? Do they have a positive reputation? Do they use appropriate humour? Do they display organisational citizenship behaviour? And are they a subject matter expert? And to a certain degree, the more substantive these things are, the more flexibility and also the more patience others will have around you. So if, for example, generally speaking, you're known as persuasive, and then in one particular instance you weren't persuasive, it is unlikely to affect your reputation. It's unlikely to affect how you're known within the organisation because you've built that substantive um, evidence base and experience base that people have of you to say, oh, that wasn't like Phil normally is. I'm sure he's just having an off day and then away we go. Similarly, if you've displayed those organisational citizenship behaviours consistently in the past and now you do something that goes against the organisational citizenship behaviours, chances are it will be excused or accepted because that's not how you would normally be. And if you want a really good example of that, have a look at the Emotion at Work website and there's a video in there titled 13 Words. And what we have here is a lot of those things about having, especially about having a positive reputation and displaying organisational citizenship behaviour, those two things stopped me being fired. So... I might be a kind of the risk is I come across as though these things don't matter because I'm just listing them off. They're really important. So if you want a really good real life example, go to the Emotion at Work website and watch the 13 words video. I'll put a link in the um, in the show notes to the right page on the website as well, so you can find it really easily. So those are substantive approaches to self presentation. Uh, let's next have a look at the surface level approaches. Now, even though these are called surface level approaches, that doesn't mean that they're easy or ineffective. They can be really effective. Um, The difference being they take less cognitive effort, preparation or building in advance to, to use. And one of those really good examples is about clothing, dress and appearance. And if you've listened to episode 12, you'll have heard my example before of um, turning up at a client's office wearing inappropriate clothing for that context um, and the impact that that had on the way that I was then treated and how I was seen and viewed by the organisation. So clothing, dress and appearance are, are important things. It's why you have a dress code. It's why you um, you let people know in advance uh, what you might be doing so they can wear the appropriate clothing um, because by turning up in inappropriate clothing then can be embarrassing and it can um, damage how uh, that self uh, desired, that socially desired identity that somebody may have. It also can mean that you can f- you can make it so that you fit in. That's why organisations, you know, whether they be big or small, massive, when you might be talking about things like the army or the navy or the air force or those big institutions where everybody has the uniform, so you have to wear that thing, and you, there are certain standards that you have to do, whether that be to um, all the way down to. Um, wearing a a uniform in in a chain restaurant like mcdonald's so clothing dress and appearance are are important parts of impression management and self-presentation because it shows that you fit in or you don't depending on how you want to be seen um 
So for example, I wear trainers a lot, New Balance in particular, 373s if I have my choice, um, because I don't want to fit in fully. So I'll happily turn up at, uh, at, for example, as I have done recently, turn up on a client site where the expectation is business dress. So I've got I've got a shirt on, I've got a, a smart jumper, not a hoodie, which would be my preference. Um, I'm in trousers, not jeans, which would be my preference. And arguably I should be in shoes, but I'm not, I'm in trainers. Um, and part of that is from a comfort point of view that I don't like wearing shoes. I find them uncomfortable uh, or maybe I haven't found the right shoes. Um, but it's more to do with, I want, that's part of who I am. That's part of my desired social identity that I, I don't quite fully conform. I'll conform, but not fully. And that's part of the desired social identity that I want to negotiate. Um, and yeah. So what else do we have then? Um, so we have first impression making is another surface level approach to self-presentation. So how do we manage that first impression? Um, and we, there's a, a lot of the literature talks about the importance of, of first impressions and, and how you then renegotiate thereafter. And that comes from this idea that you have this desired social identity. And if, if your first impression is a long way away from that desired social identity, then it can be hard to renegotiate your way back in to that. Um, so that's why first impressions are important. You also then have a, a kind of a casual title really about business etiquette. Um, and that's, are you using the right language? So do you use the right three-letter acronyms in the right place and the right time? Do you use the right media to communicate? So especially in organisations, um, there can be multiple communication channels, email, phone calls, um, uh, virtual calls on things like Teams, instant messaging through things like Slack or Teams, um, instant messaging through things like WhatsApp, and there's a, there's a degree of etiquette about what information goes where. So when I work with clients, I, I often get these things really explicit and agreed so people don't make the mistakes, so they don't use the wrong channel or use the wrong approach to communication. So the, the etiquette in, in business, whether that be communication etiquette, it could also be, as I've mentioned in other podcasts before, etiquette around speaking, who speaks first, who speaks last, um, whose voice has more uh, more weight or sway in an organisation. So that business etiquette bit is really important. You've also then got personal branding, which links in with some of the um, uh, some of the substantive approaches to impression management, um, and it can be um, something that you can do um, in a more superficial way as well. And in particular, with that, I mean. So it can be things like, how do you talk about yourself? And you could look at things like your LinkedIn profile or your LinkedIn bio, your Twitter bio, your, your other social media channels. Um, also looking at the things that you put out there into, into the world. So how, how, how do you position yourself? And so your personal branding in part is the way that you talk about yourself. It's also the way that others talk about you. So one of the things that I advocate for a lot with people that are looking for roles, and especially if they're using recruitment agencies to do it, is ask the person that's representing you, how are you describing me to the client? How are you describing me to the people that you're meeting with? Because if we understand that, we can then what we want to do, sorry, is make sure that the way that we're being described and positioned is consistent with how we are 
Otherwise, the risk is we'll be described as one thing by the person that might be working on our behalf to try and secure a role. And then when we turn up for an interview or we have a conversation with somebody from that organization or somebody from that organization looks at, may say, our online presence, if those things are markedly different, then that's not going to be very successful from a self-presentation perspective. So if you've got people that are representing you, for example, in recruitment, make sure or if sorry, my mind is running in recruitment or it could be where your line manager is representing you if you're in a bigger organization and you're looking for a promotion or a lateral move how are they describing you and is that in line with how you want to be seen and how you're putting yourself out there at the moment so when we think about personal branding it's those different aspects in it as well and then finally in this section we have non-verbal impression management and so that's the things that you're doing non-verbally that can give um, an impression of, of how you present yourself across to the world. So when you're in a meeting, are you on your phone? Are you reading emails? Are you working away on your laptop? Are you paying attention? Are you asking follow-up questions? Are you, um, are you demonstrating that you are present? Or if you're in the office, are you, um, you know, how are you sitting? How are you standing? How are you walking around? So the, the nonverbal parts of actions of what you do will form part of how people see you and that, and that self-presentation. So what we've done then is we've looked at the substantive and the surface level approaches to self-presentation. We've also talked more broadly about, about flattery and framing as two kind of more broadly impression management strategies that also show up into self-presentation as well. So I guess what I'd encourage you to do is to think both about your own actions and behaviours and of those around you. To think, well, how am I presenting myself and how are others presenting themselves? How are they situating themselves in the world and what does that tell us about them and or me? In the show notes, you'll find uh, links to all of the things that we've talked about in the show today. Thank you very much for listening um, and I look forward to seeing you for episode 59 soon. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the Emotion at Work podcast and if you got this far, you must be interested in the role that emotions have in the workplace either within individuals, between people in teams or in organisations as a whole. So head over to the Emotion at Work hub which you can find at community.emotionatwork.co.uk Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.